This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show once again. And as always, I am your host, Daniel Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio this week is Marianne R. Williams, the librarian in residence and visiting assistant professor at the University of Arkansas. Marianne, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, We decided that you were going to do this because I was uh, down at the University of Arkansas speaking, and uh, you mentioned that you liked the show. And I said, then you have to come on it because that's what I say to people (laughs) when they tell me that they listen to the show. Um, thank you so yeah, much for yeah. doing that. Yeah, I'm really excited. I've been listening to this podcast for a really long time. Well, uh, then I'm glad that you're going to become a part of it. Um, and, <laughs> you know, you will eventually become part of our archives, which is very exciting. Um, would you Amazing. read our first letter? Sure. Okay. So the subject is absentee father wants back into my life. Dear Prudence, my mother and father were never married. I only saw my father a few times a year and always referring to him by his first name, Frank. He treated me more like a stranger's child than his. By my teenage years, I became angry and resentful and felt more distanced from him than ever. He had another daughter from a previous marriage, and he would talk about her as his daughter, but never me. I also was at one point told that he wasn't really interested in me as his child because I wasn't a son which is what he had wanted. When I turned 18, I sent him an email asking if he saw me as his daughter. He never responded. I even found out that he had lied to his other daughter and said we weren't related, which felt even worse. I was furious and hurt, but after multiple years, moved on and stopped talking to him. In the last year, I have learned that he's suffering from dementia and other serious health issues, and that he now wants to be in my life. I understand that some of his more recent shitty behavior may be attributed to that, but I'm in my mid-20s and know for a fact that it can't excuse an entire lifetime of his hurtful actions. I was pretty sick as a teenager, and he wasn't there for me at all, so I feel resentful that now that he's unwell, um, he wants to call me his daughter and have me around. Everyone else in my family has forgiven him and has spent a lot of time with him, but I don't know if I can. I guess I know deep down that he deserves forgiveness, but I'm not sure if I can give it. And beyond that, if I can bear to let him back into my life. I have spent years getting over this, and now it feels like the same wounds are reopening. Am I a bad person if I don't want to be around him? Will I regret it later if I distance myself and he dies soon? How do I deal with the anger I'm feeling? I think there's a lot here. And the first thing that kind of comes to mind is that question about will I regret it later if I distance myself and he dies soon? Um, Because I I think this letter writer is already feeling a lot of pressure from a lot of different fronts. Um, And I think one thing that might be helpful is just to remember, you know, you've had a complicated, distant relationship with your father your whole life. Um, he's dying. I think no matter what you do, you will feel at various other points after his death some forms of regret, some forms of anger, some forms of hurt, and that that's just going to be unavoidable. And I don't say that <laughs> to say, like, don't worry, it's just going to suck no matter what. But I, I just think you shouldn't act with the pressure of, of like, 
I need to do something to make sure I don't feel regret later. Because the truth is just he is a complicated, not great parent. And so after he dies, you will probably feel a number of different painful things. And there's just no way to avoid that. So don't worry that there's one action you can take now that will guarantee you won't experience sadness or regret later. Yeah. Yeah. That stuck out to me, too, because, um, I mean, you can't regret proof your life. But um, that um, what really, you know, kind of resonated with me or like what I've found interesting about this question is, like, how do I deal with the anger I'm feeling? Um, mm-hmm. I think a therapist <laughs> can, could would really help them deal with the anger that they're feeling right now. Um you know, that is something that I think this person really needs to to work through immediately as next steps um, before kind of deciding what what they want to do in terms of a relationship with with this parent. I think a therapist is a great idea, especially because I think some of the other forms of pressure come from the fact that everyone else in the family has forgiven him or hangs out with him a lot now. And I, I, I didn't I couldn't quite tell if if the letter writer said or, or felt like people have said things directly to them or not. But there is either explicit or implicit pressure of like, hey, everyone else thinks that Frank is cool. Why can't you get on board? Uh, yeah. So I want somebody that you can talk to who is not trying to push you in that direction, that you can just go ahead and share all your most like painful, frustrated, angry, resentful thoughts with without getting pressure of like, well, he's sick or, well, he's really nice to me. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a lot here that I think is is maybe um, sort of extraneous to the immediate question. We can't tell you if you're a bad person if you don't want to be around him. I, I don't I don't think you're a bad person for figuring out, you know, how you want to move forward with this like very complicated relationship. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll just say that if you feel like you don't think that you could be in his life, that's a very good reason not to be in his life. Um, uh, just because he is sick doesn't erase the ways in which he hurt you your whole life. Um, I, I think ideas around forgiveness can sometimes get real damaging because they sort of um, – uh, it, it, it can sometimes, I think, get twisted. So it's sort of like, well, this person has suffered X amount. Therefore, they deserve my trust or affection or forgiveness. Um, you know, he hasn't necessarily asked you for your forgiveness. Um, he's just he wants to be in your life. And so um, if you feel like I am willing and able to have like one phone call with him and show up at the funeral and privately withhold my forgiveness, that is totally allowed. Um, if you want to try tentatively to have a conversation or two and see where that goes, that's allowed too. Um, you don't owe him your forgiveness just because he's old or just because he has dementia. You can recognize that he's a complicated person who might have loving relationships with other people. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean like, – like I think the question you should ask yourself is what would I get out of forgiving him? What would that do for yeah. me? And if you can't see any advantages, don't do it. Um, it, it, that doesn't mean that you are unnecessarily holding on to the past or that you're a vindictive person. I think that's where some of that pressure can come from. It's like if you don't forgive someone who hurt you, then eventually you become the bad person yourself. I just don't think that that's true. No, I don't think so either. Like he clearly has a lot of love and support in his life. Um, if he now feels some regret about the way that he treated you, 
frankly, I think that's kind of appropriate. Um, and, and it's not your problem to fix. And that might feel harsh, but in fact, it isn't. Like the way that he treated you as a father is pretty brutal. Um, and if you said, you know what, I, I, I hope that he is able to die comfortably and surrounded by people who care for him. Um, but I personally don't want to be close to him and I'm not going to pretend that he didn't hurt me. That's a very sane, reasonable, loving thing to say. That doesn't make you vindictive. That doesn't make you a bad person. I understand you might feel worried that other people would judge you for saying it, but I, I just think that, that would be super, super understandable. Yeah. and. Like the part about everyone else in my family has forgiven him, um, but no one else in your family has the same relationship to him that right. you do. And um, so, you know, you don't need to take that as precedent or, um, you know, the, you don't need to feel as much pressure, I guess, to to do that when, you know, it's, it's a different type of relationship and um, way that he's interacted with you your entire life. Um, you know, I think that that can play a huge part in, you know, people putting pressure on themselves. But it doesn't – the letter doesn't say that he has asked her for forgiveness or anything. You know, he just wants to um, call the letter writer his daughter and have her around, um, which, yeah, also kind of gives me a bit of pause. Yeah, and I would say between that and the fact that you know at least some of what he's dealing with right now has affected his memory and his cognitive functioning, um, you know, th that that may very well mean that you would not be able to have the kind of honest, uh, difficult conversation about your relationship with him that you might want to. Um, and again, I would just say don't put yourself in a position where you might feel like additionally hurt by the things he might say to you without a filter. Um if you if you don't feel up to it. So again, it's great if the other members of your family enjoy being around him, but he wasn't their dad. Um, he didn't, you know, say, I don't really see you as my child. And he didn't lie to his other kids about his relationship with you. So um, th that's sort of like, what's the expression? Like, not my ponies, not my circus. Like, it's <laughs> not really their, they don't get to forgive him on your behalf. Right. Um, and especially given that, like, you yourself were really, really ill and now he kind of wants you to show up for his illness. Like, I just I really understand why you feel like I don't think I can do that. Um, and I want you to have a lot of permission from us to say, nope, that's not the kind of relationship that we have. And um, I am not available to conversations about him, like with my other relatives. Yeah. Yeah. But Agreed. I, absolutely. I think no matter what you do. After he dies, there will be lots of big feelings. And I want you to be able to talk about them, hopefully with friends hopefully with the therapist, hopefully both, expect that anger would make sense to me, sadness would make sense to me, uh, you know, be on the lookout for big waves of feeling because that's just going to happen. Definitely. Okay, so this next letter is um, <laughs> really something. Uh, at least nobody's dying. Um, but, it's, <laughs> you know, the subject is offended by my friend's racist accents. Dear Prudence, I've known my white friend Brandon for about eight years. Recently, Brandon has been making jokes where he, quote, imitates various Latino and Asian accents when we're hanging out. It's especially odd that he does this in front of me because I'm Cuban-American and another person in our very small, tight-knit friend group is Filipina. He's a very sweet guy, and I'm not sure he realizes what he's doing because he isn't saying anything particularly racist. He's just doing a terrible imitation of an accent and then using slang that he thinks goes with those accents. He has a lot of fr other friends that I don't see often who are older, mostly white gay men. 
One couple that he is friends with is Mexican-American, and I've heard one member of this couple imitate his own mom and sisters, and it sounds a lot like the offensive accent that Brandon puts on. I think Brandon may have started doing these accents because of those other friends, and that one may possibly be an inside joke between him and this couple. I don't want to discourage him from hanging out with these friends, but I hate that he's started doing this, and I don't know how to bring it up. I'm worried he'll start flagellating himself for being racist instead of just knocking it off. I'm also concerned that if I make a big deal about it by pointing out what he's doing as racist, he'll feel bad in the moment, but then go discuss it with his older white friends who will convince him that the rest of us are just overreacting. How do I talk to Brandon about his racist jokes and make it clear that imitating offensive accents is unacceptable? If one of the accents is an inside joke, how do I tell him it's an inside joke I don't want to hear ever again? (laughs) So my immediate reaction to this is, like, Brandon is not made of glass. Um, this The letter writer seems to be trying to shoulder a lot of the burden from Brandon. And I, I don't, um, you know, I can appreciate that he's a nice guy. But um, this, you know, this is unacceptable. It's not cool. Yeah, I, I, th- I thought I understood that, like, the fear is because not uncommonly when somebody says like gently to a white person, hey, you have just said or done something racist. We often respond in a really like fragile, panicked way like, oh, my gosh, you've just set the self-destruct button off in the middle of my heart and my whole body's going to explode in eight seconds if you don't tell me I'm not actually racist. Um, <laughs> but I agree that that shouldn't be what dictates the letter writer's actions. Um Yeah, I I think the way through this is just, hey, when you do these accents, it's offensive. I don't like it. Stop it. Um, You don't need to kind of say, I think you might do it because of a joke I've heard a friend of yours make about his own family or whatever. Um, That doesn't matter. The, like, racist backstory is a red herring. You just get to say, hey, you imitate other people's accents, and it's racist, and I don't like it, and I'd like you to stop. Um, And that's it. And then, you know, if he sputters, he can sputter for a minute, but he just needs to get from sputtering to, okay, I'm sorry, I'll stop. That's all. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, you know, there is a it sounds like, you know, this the letter writer is hesitant to talk about this with Brandon because of this kind of white fragility. But, um, you know, I think even just saying, you know, exactly (laughs) almost exactly what they say in the letter that, you know, imitating offensive accents is unacceptable you know, if this is an inside joke, you know, it's not funny and I don't want to hear it again. Um, that even that seems to be like I feel like this letter writer, you know, just needed to work through what to say to to Brandon. And yeah, I mean, a lot of it I feel like is just kind of extraneous, like because Brandon has these older friends um, who might accuse the letter writer of overreacting, I think is, yeah, again, a red herring. There's a lot of worry here um, that really Brandon should be thinking about and not the letter writer. Right. And again, I definitely get it. The fear, right, is that like my friend, instead of just saying, you're right, I'm sorry, I'll stop, will like flip out or run off to kind of an all white social circle in order to reconfirm that what he does is okay, and that what I do as like a non-white person Um, gets uh, coded as, like, too sensitive or too much so that they can kind of remain comfortable. Um, I I understand where that's coming from, but I just really, um, I think if he were to do that, that would be a really bad choice, um, and that would kind of, I think, indicate to you um, 
that he would rather remain comfortable than not do or say racist things. Um, and that would be, I think, a sign at that point to step back from that relationship. So hopefully um, he can just hear you and like, you know, if he needs to flagellate himself in private, he can go do that. But like if you say that to him and his response starts to be like, wait, it's an inside joke. It's funny when my friend does it and I have a pass. I have a hall pass from him, which you're allowed to get from people. Um, you can just kind of stop him and say like, hey, I'm not super interested in where it comes from or why you thought it was OK. I just need you to know that it's not and I need you to stop. So all I need to hear from you is I'm sorry and I won't do it again. Can you do that? That's it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, if you're really concerned, um, you know, maybe think about doing this at a time um, where other people aren't around, um, you know, for Brandon's comfort, I guess. But also, I don't really want you to put too much too much on to making him feel comfortable um, about his racist jokes. And I do think it's fine to do it when it's just the two of you. I, I think that's totally yeah. OK. So but yeah, just say it. Make your request very simple and straightforward. And if he starts getting really off track, just draw him up short and say, here's what I need from you, which is to stop doing it. Um, not like a, you know, long, long novel about why it's funny. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, By the way, I kind of have the same approach to our next letter where I feel like we are getting <laughs> way, 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 way too much backstory over a very simple issue. But um Uh, I'm interested to hear your take on it, and I think it's your turn to read that letter. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Um, The subject is wife of a sex addict. Dear Prudence, about two and a half years ago, my husband admitted he's a sex addict. I say admitted because I've made the suggestion in the past based on random indiscretions with his children's mothers behind my back, as well as other strange women I've caught him talking to. I knew I should have laughed after the first lie, but by then, we'd been together well over a year. I knew his children, and I really couldn't, and still can't, see my future without him in it. But when I found a secret email and have discovered the 50-plus women he's slept with over the past couple decades, 10 years of which him and I have been together, I began silently packing my things to leave him. I was done. He started sobbing me, begging me to stay. I was worried— what he'd do, so I called his mother. Um, She looked online and found um, a Sex Addicts Anonymous meeting that night. Um, I agreed I'd be home when he was done if he went, so he did. He came home and was distraught because after listening to the men and women, it hit him that he very well was an addict. He'd always thought that it was something he could control, but in reality, his addiction had caused him to self-sabotage so many times over the years, and he was in denial. Over the coming weeks, the near withdrawals he went to cemented to him, and me, honestly, that he truly wasn't of control of anything he'd been doing sexually since he was 14 years old. He started therapy, consistently going to meetings. I started therapy, and so far, we're still married. But it's just not the same. Although time has made things easier, I'm still always suspicious. He stopped going to the meetings without even doing his first step. He stopped therapy, saying that it's easier for him to fight if he isn't faced with it constantly. He uses other pastimes to occupy his brain, like his transformer and watch collection and video games. But those get in the way of our family time and budget quite often. I grew up in a family of drug-slash-alcohol addicts, and I know facing it is the only way to truly beat an addiction. At this point, I don't know what to do. He has this co-worker that I'm convinced he's sleeping with, mostly in my mind, though, because there's no proof. Um, I've begged him to go back to therapy 
and slash or the meetings, and he won't. This entire thing has completely changed me as a person. I'm depressed and anxious. I don't trust him anymore. He gave me herpes, and I'm a chronic leukemia survivor, so it affects me more often than him. Um, He was only the second man I've ever slept with. It seems every day I am consumed by my thoughts and just wonder how much longer I can take feeling this way, but then counter that I'll probably feel this way whether we're together or not. Admittedly, I stopped therapy. I share his emotion that talking about it just messes me up more than trying to move past it all, although I haven't told him that. I'm just at a loss anymore. I've lost myself in all this. I definitely hear that. Oh, boy. Yeah, I read this letter and I hear a person who is lost because you have described like I'm in a car. The car is on fire. I'm driving off of a bridge that's also on fire into a lake of more fire. Do you have a Band-Aid? Like, yeah, I just don't know what they're getting out of this marriage. I I, I also don't know that. I I, I will say this. I I don't mean in any way to suggest that it's not possible for people to have sexual patterns or behaviors that they find um, compulsive or painful um, or where they do things that they wish that they wouldn't or that go against their values. Um, I, I will say this, like, quickness to medicalize the idea of sex addiction is not one that is shared by, like, the APA or the DSM. And not that the DSM is perfect, but, like, um, sex addiction's not real. It's not like a one-to-one comparison with, like, drug or alcohol addiction, which has been, like, pretty extensively studied and has, like, uh, you know, like, chemical dependencies, which are a real thing. Um, so the 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 fact that like kind of like starting in like the 80s and 90s language around sex addiction came out of like it, and if you kind of like look up the history of it came out of like pretty conservative groups looking to demonize and like isolate certain aspects of sexuality. Um, uh, so I, I would just say I don't think it's true that your husband is a sex addict um, and and that the kind of thought of like because I grew up with alcoholics, I know that he needs to just go to meetings and that's going to solve this problem. Um, I'll mm-hmm. just say your husband cheats on you a lot. That is a choice that he makes. You sound unhappy. He doesn't seem interested in changing his behavior. You know, I think the best answer at this point is that you should go back to therapy and end this marriage and be divorced from him and spend a lot of time uh, paying attention to what it is that you want and need to feel healthy, loved, and supported because I don't think you've been getting that in this marriage for a long time. Um, you know, I, you say that you kind of still can't see your future without him in it. And I think that that just has more to do with a sense of like, we've been through so much and I'm trying so hard. So if I quit now, it means I've wasted the last couple of years. And I'm just I'm just here to tell you that's that's a great way to waste another five or ten years um, with somebody who has not demonstrated that he cares about you at all. Yeah, I this one just like, you know, I'm not like I mentioned earlier, I don't know what this the letter writer is getting out of this marriage. And it sounds like they, you know, I don't trust anyone anymore um, really signals to me that I don't think that this can really be repaired um, in a meaningful way that is not going to make you feel terrible most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're suspicious of him, like, currently sleeping with someone else that's not you. Um, you know, if if you're not okay with that, you don't have to be in this marriage. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I feel so much um, 
tenderness and 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 compassion for this letter writer. Like she says, I'm depressed and I'm anxious. I feel isolated. I don't trust people. I have like a chronic leukemia condition. Um, so I, it may be that you're dependent on him for health insurance or, or that you just feel mm. like if I leave, I will throw my life into such chaos that I don't trust that I'll be able to take care of myself, all of which are very real fears and issues. But that part of you that says, I, I think I'll probably feel this way even if I leave him, I think that's the depression talking. Um, I think that's the part of you that says, as long as I'm trapped in this cycle with him, at least I know um, that he needs me in some weird fucked up way to like, you know, berate him or be hurt by him so that he can go through that like sort of sobbing objection. I'm miserable and start the cycle again where he gets to like offload his guilt onto you and then feel like cleansed by his own sobbing and not make any changes and go back to playing video games and cheating on you. Um, Ugh. so I think that the, the voice that says, even if I left, things won't get better. Um, I, I do understand that some things wouldn't necessarily change. Like you'd still have the trauma from this relationship. You'd still have the chronic health conditions that you're dealing with. You would still be dealing with depression and anxiety. All of that would still be true, but you wouldn't be living in a house with a man every day who makes you feel like you're losing your mind and like, you don't know what to think or who to trust. Um, you could have, silence in the house and peace and you could you know make yourself a cup of tea and sit on the couch and have a feeling and not worry about the guy you know over in the living room is he actually playing a video game right now or is he like setting up a clandestine meeting with somebody else to cheat on me with like another thing that like the letter writer mentions is um having a relationship with his children yeah um and um that i think is also something to maybe to go back to therapy and and figure out, you know, if you can have um, some sort of healthy relationship with these children, if that's really important to you. That seems to be um, sort of one of the reasons why this person is staying in this marriage. Um, and, you know, I think that when kids are involved, it's always more complicated. But um, I, I hope that that's not um, the only thing that is keeping this person married to this other person um, is, you know, figuring out how how to continue being in a really like how to hang out with these kids. Um, yeah. Right. I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, the kids stuff, it, it doesn't sound like the kids are in the home. It doesn't sound like they're in like need of a, a stable parental figure. They've been married for more than 10 years. Um, it sounds like the it sounds like the kids are grown and out of the house to me. Um, oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, or, or at least so, like uh, their kind of daily caretaking is not the letter writer's primary concern. Like the kids are not. Um, it, it just I, I don't have any big concerns about them right now. Um, yeah, I, I would say again too. Like if, if part of your back went up when I was like, I don't think sex addiction is a real thing. Um, Let's leave that aside for now and just say, like, what has your husband done with the idea or the belief that he is a sex addict? Because it kind of sounds like he said it in order to declare, I've never had any control over my sexual behavior my entire life, starting with when I was a teenager. And that was it. Uh, it didn't begin a new life where he committed to a different kind of relationship to his sexuality. It just sounded like it was an opportunity for him to go like Michael Scott in the office declaring bankruptcy. Just like, I'm a sex addict. Okay? Like, that yeah. information didn't produce 
change. So I don't, I don't really care if he thinks he is or he thinks he isn't. I don't really care if it's a real thing, whatever a real thing would mean. Um, I, I care about the fact that he doesn't take any actions to get either help changing or simply to change. So like half a dozen of one, six of the other, it doesn't matter. The only thing that he's done with the idea that he might be a sex addict is given up the idea that he has to be responsible to you for cheating on you. And that, to me, suggests that he's not operating in good faith. He does not actually believe himself to suffer from an addiction. Um, he's ashamed of the choices that he has made. And he doesn't want to have uncomfortable conversations with you where he feels like a bad person for hurting you. So he gets to say, I'm a sex addict. Couldn't control any of those people I slept with. Um, you know, it was like a lightning bolt hit me. So we just have to leave it alone and I get to go play, you know, video games. And that's... Um, uh, as you can see, that's taken a real toll on you. So I just, I would urge you, leave, leave right now. Just go. If you have a, a sibling or a relative or a close friend who's, you know, got a spare room you can sleep in tonight, just, you know, say tomorrow, I'm going to live today as if I don't really know or care whether or not my husband is a sex addict. I'm going to take care of myself um, and, and see what that day looks like. Um, and if you were to prioritize right now treating your own body with care, um, treating your own like pain with care, treating your own needs with care, uh, how much of that would be spent worrying about your husband? And I think that that's going to be a life where, again, I'm not promising you that you're going to feel good all the time or that you won't still experience residual pain from the things that your husband has done to you. But I do think that that's a better life. I, I do genuinely believe that it will feel markedly different from the kind of life you have right now. And I want better for you. I really, really do. And I think that's about it uh, for that one. I, I I hope we hear back from her. But yeah, that one's just sad and hard. So we're going to move ahead to more like family enmeshment, but at least in a slightly less intense form. Uh, the subject is grandmother cut off from grandsons over Facebook friends. Dear Prudence, my brother and sister-in-law have been married over 20 years and have two teenage sons. My sister-in-law grew up in a very difficult situation. Both her mother and brother are addicts who are also verbally abusive. She's made the decision to cut off contact with her side of the family in order to preserve her sanity. Our mother has a difficult time with this and has remained Facebook friends with my sister-in-law's mother. While my mother's been asked not to comment or react to the woman's rants about the family, she does occasionally like her non-family related posts. Our mother is a very sweet woman who believes the best of everyone and empathizes with being cut off from one's grandchildren. Due to an impending custody battle with an extended family member, my sister-in-law has now blocked my mother on Facebook and refused to answer texts or calls. Unfortunately, this is only the final straw in 20 years of incrementally excluding my mother from their lives. She is rarely invited to events for the grandsons, doesn't see them even though they live 15 minutes apart, isn't invited to their birthday parties, and now is denied seeing pictures of them on Facebook. Our mother has now blocked the sister-in-law's mother on Facebook and has agreed to no contact, but it hasn't helped. Contact has not been reestablished, and my sister-in-law can't even make time to call and talk about it. My mother is now calling me upset on a daily basis. Is there anything you can recommend to help this situation before it causes a rift the family will not recover from? So I, this one, I I was I had to reread a couple times to like totally mm -hmm. understand the the Facebook me stuff. too because um, I it, they use the present tense, but I it sounds like 
that actually is not really what they're <laughs> what they're worried about. I, I don't know. Is anyone entitled to see pictures of people on Facebook? I feel like, you know, you, with Facebook, people get to set their parameters on how they interact there. And if it's, you know, this horrible situation with an impending custody battle, um, you know, I think that there's other ways to communicate other than Facebook here. Yeah. This the the read I got from this one was your mother letter writer, um, who you say kind of believes the best of everyone. It sounds like she has been pretty squishy about some of your sister-in-law's really hard limits and that this is yeah. not the first time that she has um, perhaps naively, perhaps uh, in a passive attempt to control, um, done things that cross a line. And is now like has now experienced a hard consequence of kind of like a pattern of um, uh, boundary crossing. And so now she's like, I can't believe this. I'm being kept for my grandchildren. How could this possibly have happened? It sounds like there have been some warning signs for a while. And she's had a number of opportunities not to be in touch with her daughter-in-law's abusive family members and decided that it was really important to be able to occasionally like their statuses about, I don't know, Marvel movies or whatever. Um, sure. Uh, and and now that there's this point where some part of that side of the family is locked into like a really damaging custody battle, your sister-in-law and it sounds like your brother, it sounds like they're doing this as a team, have decided like w- we really, really need to draw a super hard line here. Um, I-, I think that makes sense. I think their decision is one that I can understand. Um, it's possible they're being overly punitive, but like it's really like this is such a case, I think, of like not your ponies, not your circus, which I feel like I'm misusing that expression. It's like not my <laughs> dogs, not my floor show. I don't know exactly how it goes, but like <laughs> you're the problem that you have, letter writer, is that your mother is calling you every day trying to get you to fix a situation between her and somebody else. That's your only problem. Your problem is not that your sister-in-law has blocked her on Facebook. Your problem is that you don't know how to set a limit with your mother. And actually, it sounds like a couple people in your family have that problem. Yeah, I just, I feel like it it sounds like, you know, the mother is obviously very upset that she doesn't have any contact with um, the the sister-in-law and the brother. Um, But, you know, it also sounds like the sister-in-law is dealing with... uh, an impending custody battle, which is, you know, often a really difficult and stressful time. Um, and I'm not sure how the letter writer, um, I, I don't think that there's like a particularly good way that they can um, inject themselves into this other than talking to the mom. Yeah. I, I think the only thing for you to do here is to say, mom, I'm really sorry. I know that this is really hard for you. Um, I, I can't do anything about it. So I, I, you know, I need to set a limit here. We can't keep talking about this. Um, I, I hope you're able to find either a therapist to talk to about it um, or maybe a journal or somebody else, but I cannot fix this for you. It sounds like you were warned about this a number of times. I'm really sorry that it hurts, but again, I cannot fix this for you. Um, that's all you need to figure out how to do and then say, like, let's talk about something else. And if she can't talk about something else, then you get to say... Let me know when you're ready to talk about something else, but I got to go. And then go garden or talk to a friend or something else, but this is not your problem to fix. I think I think that's it. It's nice. It's always nice when there's just like an easy one of like, you don't have as big a problem as you think. Um, your mom needs to learn how to listen to no. So this one's you. 
All right. Um, this next letter, the subject is cancer's fault. Dear Prudence, my boyfriend of just over a year received a very grim cancer diagnosis four weeks ago. As the results have been worse and worse, he decided to break up with me in order to set me free and save me from the next year of his life, which could very well be his last. He says I am his best friend and he still wants to talk every day. This is not what I want. I do not want to break up. I want to be there for him as much as possible. Worst case scenario, if this is his last year on earth, I want to spend as much time with him as possible. How do I balance this going forward? He's breaking up with me because there's a real chance he's going to die soon, but we're all going to die. How do I make him see that, especially since he still wants me in his everyday life? Whew. Yeah, that's – I'm really sorry, letter writer, that, um, you know, this cancer diagnosis has um, been given to your boyfriend. Um, This, I think, is also something, um, you know, worthy of a therapist. And um, I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of grieving throughout this process, whether it's the end of this relationship or – you know, the end of your boyfriend's life. And, um, you know, there are some, there's a lot of professional resources on grief that I think you should really start considering um, as a way to kind of navigate this this next year um, or so that it's going to be incredibly difficult. Yeah, I think the therapy part is great. I think to just remember, it's been four weeks. Um, and so the degree to which he is still reeling with uh, hugely shocking, especially for what sounds like his relatively young age um, diagnosis just means that, uh, you know, he's just not going to be like every time he makes a decision thinking super calmly, like he just sounds scared and panicked. And like, at least one thing I can control is that I won't put my like partner in the position of feeling like widowed if I'm dead in a year. Um, and I, I get that. You know, it, I, I understand where his thinking is coming from. I'm kind of on your side where it'll feel just like, let me make that call. But I also think right now the thing to do is to um, find a therapist that you can see who specializes in stuff like, you know, um, cancer, um, end of life decisions, dealing with like trauma and grief, um, asking if potentially he'd be willing to go see one together um and also i think just reiterating i want to stay in your life um to whatever extent that you are willing to have me in your life i want that um i want you to know that i still want to be with you um if you change your mind um please please know that that would be my like that's my number one choice like if we're force ranking this like for safety schools or whatever my number one choice is you and i are dating because i'm gonna be here no matter what i want to i'm gonna be in a relationship it's gonna i will be present with you no matter what i don't want to try to um uh pretend we can make the future easier by saying oh we'll 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 pretend to care about each other a little bit less like i still love you i still want to be with you but i wouldn't um I wouldn't press that too hard right now. I think I would just say that the once and then say, but like, again, if you don't feel like you have the bandwidth for a romantic relationship right now, I respect that. But um, I just want to be honest with you about what I'm here for and available for and interested in. Yeah. And I I mean, I can appreciate that the letter writer doesn't want to break up, but, um, you know, that that is kind of a, a very small part of this. I think 
your partner or your boyfriend needs um, maybe a different type of support. And, he, you know, he's kind of figuring out what that looks like. Um, but, you know, if he wants to break up with you, that there is a part that, you know, of that that needs to be respected. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I mostly say this because I think there will be opportunities for multiple conversations here. Um, but yes, absolutely. If he remains real consistent on this one and that is what he wants. Um, again, I would say, like, I hope you're leaning on your friends a lot right now. I hope you find that therapist soon. I hope you get a lot of support from other people in your life, because whether or not you two get back together, it's going to be very, very hard to um, watch him go through what will likely be um, the disease that kills him. Um, that's just there's there's no way through this that's going to be like easy or great. Um, so I want you to have as many people in your corner as possible. Um, but I do hope that um, once a little bit of the initial shock has worn off, if you're able to communicate like if you do this to protect me or because you want things to be easier for me, please know you don't have to. But it also may be um, that that was a decision he made for himself, that he feels like I don't have the bandwidth to be in a romantic relationship. I think everybody can face death in such different ways or the prospect of death in such different ways that I could totally understand someone saying this relationship's still really important to me, but I want to make sure they're not staying with me out of fear. I could see somebody else saying, I need to kind of prepare myself to die. And I, I don't know how to do that in a romantic relationship and, and a lot of other things in between. So I would just say it makes sense that he's scared and panicked. I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know if he will change his mind or not. But I just want you to be able to um, stay in contact, be loving and supportive, and get all the help and support you need from other people because this is a lot to go through. Yeah, I think that's that's the best we got. Um, I just think that like the the best thing here is going to be lots of talking, um, lots of openness, lots of honesty, and 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 lots of hope. Um, and the same thing is not really true for our next letter. We are going to get such mood whiplash because we are going from like life and death issues and and profound love to. I'll just read the subject line: is uh, my husband's? <laughs> it's just my husband's sexy Barbies. Dear Prudence, without a long backstory, I found multiple dolls reminiscent of a Barbie, but with large silicone breasts, both nude and in lingerie, hidden away by my husband. My husband and I have always been pretty comfortable talking about our kinks and various sex toys, but these were never discussed. And this is one kink that I'm actually a little weirded out by. I've tried not to let it bother me, but now all I can think about when we're intimate is him fondling those little voluptuous dolls. What do I do about this terrible, albeit somewhat hilarious, predicament? I'm not sure if I should let this kink lie in silence or talk it over. Honestly, I'm not even sure how talking about sexy Barbie dolls would go over with anyone. <laughs> so I, I kind of loved this letter because it's it's pretty short. And, yes. Um, I, I think, you know, it might not necessarily be be a kink it might be you know something totally unrelated but um i i think that this the letter writer should totally um just ask their husband about it um and maybe say hey i found this thing <laughs> that i'm not really sure you know fits into your life and um maybe you could like tell me a little bit about it um yeah i don't know i think i think I think this letter writer, you know, should should maybe bring it up with their husband um, and just kind of see what their what his response is. Yeah, I 
I feel very confident that this is a sex thing. Um, yeah. I would say upwards of 95% confident. Um, <laughs> okay. It also, it took me a couple of reads to figure out, are they Barbie-sized or just yeah, like a yeah, Barbie? Yeah, yeah, okay. That's maybe like where I'm getting thrown off. Yeah, the little voluptuous dolls had me thinking they're like little, like a, like a, you know, like a foot long. But like, are they like, so they're not like sex dolls because then it would just be like he has them to to use as a as a masturbatory aid and like that might be weird but whatever. Yeah, I mean, I guess I was yeah I was thinking of them as Barbie sized because I think the answer would be a bit more obvious. If right, they were sex dolls, but or like you know larger. Right. Um. But I mean, I I don't think the letter writer needs to be too embarrassed about bringing this up. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think it's like something that, you know, should be discussed with your with your husband letter writer. But, yeah, I, I don't think, you know, it needs to be, um, you know, a source of, yeah, embarrassment or shame or anything. Um, you know, if you found them, I think you can kind of mention them in conversation and, and see, you know, if your husband is comfortable talking about them um, and saying, you know, kind of explaining what what these dolls, uh, the purpose that they serve in your house. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think a, a, a helpful sort of approach is going to be to say the answer is probably that this is a sex thing. It's not something that I'm going to want to incorporate into our sex life. And so mostly it's just going to be talking about this so it doesn't feel like a secret. Um, and then just kind of acknowledging I am not really into this. If you don't mind finding a, a place to put them that's pretty out of the way. Um, I would appreciate that. Like, if you otherwise have a pretty good sex life, it sounds like you do. It sounds like normally you two are able to talk about the things that you're into. I, I think it's great to say, look, most of the time we're on the same wavelength. We're kind of into the same stuff. This is one of those, like, every once in a while he likes to fondle a little doll and I find it goofy, but no harm is done. And that's just his thing that he kind of, um, you know, he doesn't have to, like, hide in a little shame corner, but you can just kind of acknowledge it and confirm, like, it's a sex thing. It's not really a thing for me. Do you mind moving them? Um, and that, I think, should be the sort of, like, tone and scope of the conversation rather than, like, I found your dolls. I found your treasures. You know, like, explain yourself to me. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say go in with low expectations, low stakes. It's something he does occasionally that does not do it for you. Yeah, and I, I the letter writer says... Um you know, what do I do about this terrible, albeit somewhat hilarious predicament? Um, I don't think, you know, it doesn't need to be a terrible predicament. Um, I think, you know, you can be pretty straightforward with this one. Yeah. I think it's, you know, I, I think it's kind of imaginative. It's very like Lilliputian. Um, maybe maybe he's into, what? It, so there's the giantess thing. People are sometimes into giantessing. I wonder if he's into being a giant and that would be, you know... Uh, the world is such a dark place. You know, we've just been slogging through some letters that have felt real, real dark. And so, you know, <laughs> and this, yeah, if, this every, one feels... if every once in a while he wants to imagine that he's 20 feet tall, um, I hope that that's something that brings him a little joy in our increasingly damaged world. <laughs> Woo. Okay, so I'm going to skip the next letter because it's, it's okay. too sad. We've had a lot of sad letters today. And I don't want to do another sad one. So it's it's we're getting rid of it. You don't get to hear it, listeners. I'll answer it in a future column uh, to balance out one that's too chipper. 
Um, so that's that's just an executive decision that I've made uh, at this very moment. It's too hot out. It's too hot out to be too too sad. Um, so <laughs> okay. The yeah. Sorry. I hope you didn't have anything like amazing prepared for that one. But if you did, no, no. the world. Will I agree. Know. It was very sad. So uh, the last one is admittedly also like uh, not a lighthearted question, but at least it's um, it's got a clear answer. I think. Uh, the subject is simply truth. Dear Prudence, I ended my relationship with my fiancé because I caught him cheating with his coworker. He took another job and moved away. I've been trying to pick up the pieces of my life. In a fit of insanity, I cloned his texts and emails and spent time going through them to see where my relationship had fallen apart. In one email, the woman he was sleeping with said she thought she was pregnant and wanted to know if my ex would leave me for her. He told her that he didn't want kids and wouldn't do it. Later, she said it was a false alarm. I then looked her up on Facebook and almost threw up when I saw the pregnancy announcement. I did the math, and she was definitely sleeping with my fiancé at the time she conceived. Her poor husband looks so happy, and I just feel rage at the thought of her getting away with this perfectly happy lie. I want to tell her husband the truth. I think someone should. I know my motives aren't pure here. This woman was always aggressively nice to me when I came to see my fiancé at work, always trying to hug me and asking about our wedding plans. I hate her, and I don't see why she gets to waltz away with a perfect life after causing so much pain. But I also can't stop seeing myself in this guy's shoes. Infidelity is devastating enough, but finding out that your kid isn't biologically yours would be soul-shattering. I want to print out everything I have and give it to him. What is the right thing to do here? Well, uh, I don't think that you should print out those emails. Right. And um, have any contact with this person at all. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't, I think that you should be very grateful that, you know, this relationship that you were previously in is over and you get to pick up the pieces of your life and you do not have to interact with this person um, or anyone involved in this situation at all if you don't want to. Yeah, this just feels really um, awful. And inserting yourself into a situation that does not, that you don't need to be in, um, that is not going to make you feel better after anyway. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate that the letter writer is like pretty transparent about like, I know what my motives are here. A lot of them are just spite. I also feel like there's a legitimate reason to say something i think um yeah you know, it'd be better to know before the baby is born um it would be meaningful information that i think the letter writer wished that they had gotten sooner you know um and so even though i know that there's a lot of like desire to hurt underneath this i also do think that it's um if the letter writer decided to tell the husband um i think that I would understand that. And, you know, uh, I, I think that there would be good to it, not just vindictiveness. Now, if you're going to do it, I think that's when you need to kind of ask for help, either from a friend or a therapist in terms of what is the least um, traumatic way I can give this guy this information. Because if you print out every email or text they ever sent to each other, that would just be about dragging him into your pain. That would just be about, I want you to see everything that I have sort of like obsessively looked up and, and you know, like you cloned the texts and emails in part because you wanted to wallow in the pain of every betrayal, everything that he said. And I don't say that to fault you, by the way. I 
really get it. I, I, that's probably a self-destructive choice I would make if I were in your position. I just mean that um, there's a difference between getting in touch with this guy and just giving him the bare details of like, hi, this is my name. This is my partner. I found out he was cheating on me with your partner. I'm so sorry to be the bearer of bad news. Uh, if you need confirmation, please get in touch. I can provide you with that. Um, I understand that this is really hard to hear. I wish you the best. Some version of that that gives him the option of like if he just says, I don't believe you or I don't know you or doesn't respond, then he has made his choice that he doesn't want to know. And you have to respect that. Um, that would be a really clear sign that any further contact would just be about trying to um, cause harm. Um, but if he does either get in touch and say, this is awful, um, can you can you send me some confirmation? You can send him like one screenshot uh, or one printed out thing that's very like the bare minimum of what he would need to know in order to understand that this might not be his kid. Um, but don't just send him like the whole archive because that would just be it, it would be like handing him a tool to just hurt himself with. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think, um, you know, whatever you choose to do with with these texts and emails, um, after you've made your decision, um, I would recommend uh, destroying it on your end yes. so that yes. you can put this to rest. Um, yeah, I, I think that that's the best piece of advice is, like, get rid of all the messages that you have. You're not going to learn anything else from this. Like. The truth is just that your fiancé devastated you and there was not a good enough reason for him to do this. So there's there's a limit to how much you can learn from reading the things that he said to her. At a certain point, you stop learning anything new and you just stop hurting yourself. It becomes a form of self-harm. So, you know, if you choose to get in touch with the woman's husband, do it privately do it in a way that minimizes, um, you know, any potential public humiliation um, or uh, giving him more information than he needs. But absolutely, like, let him know, um, I think this may be my ex-fiance's child. And um, if I were in your shoes, I would want to know. And uh, I'm very sorry to be the bearer of bad news. And don't get in touch with her. Um, don't ever get in touch with her. Don't do any sort of, like, I think you deserve this or I'm angry with you. Like leave her well out of it. That That is a road you don't want or need to go down. But yeah. Yeah, definitely. Once you've told him, if you decide to get rid of what you know or get rid of what you've seen rather, you can't get rid of what you know and, and focus on, um, you know, trying to work through the pain and the hurt and betrayal um, to the best of your ability. And that doesn't mean like go get happy and forgive him tomorrow. You don't ever have to forgive him. You can be mad at that guy your whole life and that would be absolutely fine. But um, I, I want you to be able to focus on what, what you need next, not just um, these other people who have hurt you. I don't have anything else to say. About yeah, <laughs> I think uh, these were big, heavy ones. And, um, you know, I, I wish we'd had one that was just like, my closet is too full of sweaters. Should <laughs> I donate them or stuff. give them to my friends? I have too many shoes. What do I do with these shoes, pretty? I mean, I also recently had too many shoes and I gave some away <laughs> to my pals. And it was great. It was a really lovely story with a fun, zippy ending. I should really set it to music sometime. What are you up to the rest of the day? How are you doing? What's going on? What's new? What's cracking? Yeah, I'm going to um, a performance at uh, the Thorn Crown Chapel, um, which is a really beautifully 
designed chapel in the Ozark Mountains tonight. So I'm really looking forward to that. That sounds absolutely lovely. I'm um, yeah. going to go buy some tahini because I'm out of tahini. <laughs> Low on the tahini. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I also am very, very happy because summer has begun very unceremoniously in the East Bay. And for the first time in my life, I have central air. And um, I'm going to be employing it for the rest of the day. I'm very, very, very <laughs> The luxury. Oh, it is. <laughs> I grew up in the Midwest, so, like, we did have central air, although it was always a fight about, like, what day we were allowed to start using it. And now that I'm an adult, I'm definitely happy to pay that bill. <laughs> yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Well, enjoy your event tonight. Have a wonderful, peaceful <laughs> rest of the day. I hope the biggest problem you have to face throughout the week is, you know, something about sweaters and nothing to do with, you know, paternity or Facebook estrangement or uh, <laughs> made up sex addiction. All right. Thank you so much. Get out of here. Enjoy your freedom. Have a great day. You too. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR, that's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.